Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. Hey, what's up, people? Welcome to our Daily Bread. It's Tuesday, uh, May something, um, 2000 and something. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what day it is? Who knows what time it is? Who knows what, uh, what year it is? But it is time for our daily bread, and um, that's something that we can always look forward to. And something I hope you guys look forward to, um, as we've been doing this every day since, um, I guess, April 1st. And um, I taught you out of my book called um, 30 Days of Rest. And, uh, and then we started teaching out of this little, this little baby, uh, Precious Promises of the Blood of Jesus. And I want to get to that because there's something very powerful I want to share with you. But I want to remind you as well, first of all, thank you for watching, everybody. Thanks, Wayne and AJ and Karen. Thank you, Monica and Cheryl and Shell and Sansu and uh, Sylvia and Joshua. Joshua won the battle at Jericho. 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 Remember that one? <laughs> Not like that. You don't remember it like that, do you? Um, hey, Rama. Hey, Cheryl. Hey, Pastor uh, our our partner pastor in India, Pastor Ratnam in India, is feeding so many precious children, and we're supporting him and sending money over there and sending our prayers over there, and we're blessed that um, we're partnered together and uh, getting the gospel out and getting real love out because that's how we um, that's how we demonstrate love with action, not just with words, right? So. Anyway, um, welcome to our Daily Bread. A uh, couple things I want to remind you of before I get back into this, which I'm very excited about what I'm going to share. But number one, um, I shared with you a verse yesterday, and I wanted to make sure to revisit that verse because I didn't I, I quoted it correctly but didn't have the right reference. Uh, I, I wondered if it was 1 Corinthians or 2. Anyway, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you. This is what um, Paul says to the Corinthians. I appeal to you, um, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now notice what he says and what he doesn't say. He says, I appeal to you. So this is our appeal. This is not going to determine whether you go to heaven or not. This is not going to determine whether God loves you or not. This is not going to determine whether you're a Christian or not. This is Paul's appeal. He's appealing to their better senses. He's appealing to their true heart. He's appealing to their common sense. And he says, I appeal to you that there be no divisions among you. Now, what he's not saying is, I appeal to you that there no, be no differences among you. We celebrate differences. We believe in differences. We celebrate diversity. Differences are not divisions. Divisions are from the devil and differences are from God. So God's made all these different denominations, Presbyterian, um, Baptist, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, all these different denominations are God's way of conveying to us that his tent is wide, 
that he celebrates our differences. The Baptists focus on being saved and baptized. The Presbyterians may focus on getting the common mind of the leadership and um, taking care of, of the, the suffering or the elderly. The Lutherans might focus on the Eucharist. The Catholics might focus on Mass. Like, God is big enough to include everybody in the tent. Everybody that calls Jesus their Savior is in the tent, and that's a huge tent. And so diversity, unity with diversity is what God celebrates. That's why there's so many different countries and so many different nationalities and so many different languages and so many, like what if you could only eat Italian food the rest of your life? Well, you, you, you think that you would love it, but you would eventually want a steak or you would eventually want um, a, a hot dog or whatever. My point is, or what if you had to eat German food the rest of your life? You'd want something else. My point is, is that all of those are welcome. All of those differences are a blessing without division. So the church needs to celebrate our differences, celebrate that we have white, black, Asian, Hispanic, all and, and all the ones that I'm not mentioning. All these different nationalities can be under one roof in one tent and be successful as long as we don't allow our differences to become divisions. So you can be a Democrat, I could be an independent, or I could be a libertarian or a Republican, and you and me can still have deep, close, beautiful fellowship because we're the church, all right? And, um, and we are not going to let our differences create division. That is the secret to um, being bigger than ourselves being bigger in our heart, being bigger in our vision, being bigger in our love. Remember, his banner over us is love. His banner over us is love. I ought to get that, I ought to get that scripture. Banner over us is love. It's in Song of Solomon somewhere. Here it is, Song of Solomon 2, verse 4. It says, he has brought me to the house, he has brought me to the banquet hall. <laughs> the Berean, I like the Berean uh, study Bible version. He has brought me to the house of wine and his banner over me is love because wine represents the new life in God and the new life in Christ. And the wine represents the joy that comes from knowing that we're loved. He said, he's brought me to his banquet hall and his banner over me is love. Like what's God's banner over his church? Love. This is the banner. This is our common banner. This is what reigns over all. Love never fails. Um, if I speak with tongues but have not love, it profits me nothing. If I have all knowledge but have not love, it profits me nothing. First Corinthians 13 says, if I prophesy, if I move all mountains and have faith to move all mountains but have not love, it profits me nothing. His banner over us is love. His banner over us is love. So we need to celebrate our differences rather than using our differences to divide us, okay? And then the other thing I wanted to remind us of, if I can find it, sorry, um, is another verse of scripture that I quoted yesterday, not Song of Solomon, not First Corinthians. Hold on, hold on. Don't go anywhere. Romans 14, there you go. Thank you. Romans 14, 
verse 5, look at what he says. Verse 4 says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And then he says, One man regards a certain day above others, and someone else considers every day alike. Each one should be convinced in his own mind. So when people ask me, well, when's, when's, you know, when should churches reopen? Well, we, we'd like to have the government get on board with us, but we have a constitutional right to do it at any time. We have a constitutional right to gather, but um, all things are lawful for us, but not all things are profitable. So this is really an, an, important, an important scripture. All things are lawful. So by constitutional law, every church could gather right now without any restrictions, and, and that's our right. But it's not necessarily profitable if it creates division and if it creates um, an unsafe situation or if it creates people getting thrown in jail. Okay, because what's the point in that? We, if it comes down to it to fight for our constitutional rights, we, 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 we have the right to do that. But I don't think it's got to that point yet because I still think that the science is divided. The facts are changing constantly and um, the country is divided. But we could celebrate... Um, our differences. Yes, I know some churches are allowed in some states to gather with 100 people. Well, if a church has thousands of people, it's, it's hard for that, for that church to gather. It's really not possible if it's limited to 100. So that's, that's neither here nor there. The point is, let everyone be convinced in their own mind. I'm not, I'm not opening the church doors because the government says so, I'm going to open them when I feel the peace of God, when I'm convinced in my mind as your leader that that's the right thing to do. And when you have to compromise so much of what fellowship is and so much of what a church gathering is in order to abide by all these regulations, it sort of takes the, the fun and the joy and the, and, the, and the pleasure out of the experience. So we're navigating through that, okay? Um, so let everyone be convinced in their own mind. Some people, they don't want to go outside yet. Let them be convinced in their own mind. Some people are, are happy to go outside and do anything that they used to do. Let everyone be convinced in their own mind and respect the dignity of the individuality of each person and respect the dignity of the individuality of each church. Just as we have to respect the individuality of each state, the state needs to the state needs to respect the individuality of each church, and the church needs to respect the individuality of each individual. So when, when the day comes at some soon point and we open the doors in Illinois, at least in our churches in Chicago area, every individual is given the freedom to decide for themselves if, if they feel good about coming or if they feel like they need to wait longer. Every individual should do that and every individual should have the right to do that just like every church should have the right to do it. You understand what I'm saying? So even when I say, when I say, hey, our doors are opening on such and such date, that doesn't mean you have to come and that doesn't mean you're going to be shamed. 
And it doesn't mean you're going to be judged. You're not going to be shamed and you're not going to be judged because we respect the, 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 the sanctity of individuality, the sanctity of individual conscience, the sanctity of, of our constitutional rights and our in, individual rights given to us by God, by no man, but by God. So that's my point on that. Shout out to some of you guys watching. Um, Arshana and Cindy and Debbie and Javina and Sam and Ron. Oh, Ron, love you, man. Ron Luce, love you, brother. Appreciate all that you've done and all that you do for the body of Christ and for kids and young people and for your family and for our nation and world. God bless you, man. Such a missionary heart. Um, Donna, welcome. Diana, uh, Eva, Sam, uh, man, Gary, love you guys, all of you. All right. Um, I'm going to jump into, I gave you some of my, you know, worldview. Now I want to jump into um, the blood of Jesus. Remember, the blood of Jesus is God's proof of his love for us. It's the demonstration of his love for us that, wow, that he would shed his blood for us. So number two, um, I, I say it like this. I say in Revelation chapter one, verse five, he loved us, he washed us, and he made us kings and priests. He loved us, and then he washed us in his own blood, and then he made us kings and priests. So um, it's sort of like God, this is what God feels for you, love. This is what God does for you, he washes. And this is what God makes of you, kings and priests. That's how I communicate it. So if you grab a hold of this principle in this, this, this powerful um, word in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. It's how God feels, it's what God does, and it's what God makes. He feels love for you, he washes you with, in his own blood, and then he makes you into something. He makes you into a king and a priest. Kings and priests, kings reign, kings rule, and priests go to God, and they minister to people on behalf of God. Every one of us is a king and every one of us is a priest in God's kingdom when we're born again. Let me tell you something about being a king and a priest. So he made you a king. The blood of Jesus, and I'll read to you from my devotional. You can get this. I'm, I'm giving this to you as my gift. There's no strings attached to it. Um, the precious promises of the blood of Jesus. I got two versions of it. I got a 30-day version in, in paperback and online. And I also have a seven day version, which is in more detail on each of those days that you can download. It's not in paperback form, but it's in downloadable form. You can go to gregorydickow.com slash promises and you can find it there. Um, also, it's my free gift. I'm not asking anything of you, but if you'd like to make a donation back to our crisis fund, a hundred percent of whatever you give will go to our crisis relief fund. It's not necessary and we're not, and you don't have to give a certain amount to get something free, you get something free, period. And if you want something, if you want to give and contribute back towards us reaching more people and helping more people in the crisis, um, I welcome that. And I thank you in advance if you choose to do that. I really do appreciate that. Okay, so the blood not only proves God's love, not only washes our sins away, but he makes us something that we weren't before. He makes us kings in this life. Romans 5, 17 says, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign as kings in this life. Jesus is the king of kings and his blood makes you 
one of the kings that he's the king of. As a child of God, you are now in the royal family. And that makes you royalty. And as you heard me say before, royalty destroys inferiority. Royalty destroys inferiority. Royalty. When you understand what God has made you, you lose your insecurities. You lose your sense of inferiority. You lose your sense of, of what you, you know, what you feel bad about in your life. You no longer have this inferior inferiority complex where you're not up to the task, but you, you're not this grasshopper complex. In, re, royalty destroys that grasshopper mentality that, oh man, the giants are too big in the land. We can't go up. But Joshua and Caleb were like, hey, we should by all means in every way possible go up and God will give us the land. So you got to see yourself that way because your enemy is going to see you the way you see you. So if you see yourself as more than a conqueror and a king and a priest, that's how the enemy is going to see you. If you see yourself defeated, small, can't accomplish much, you're just one person, what, is, what, what value do you bring? That's how the enemy is going to see you. The enemy is going to see you the way you see you. So you might as well see you the way God sees you because the enemy is only going to see you how you see you. The enemy's not going to see you how God sees you until you see you like that. You see? <laughs> All right. Hope that makes sense. Um, you are now made to rule over life's problems, reign over the devil's attacks, and have dominion over sin and the power of the enemy. You're a king. So he's made us three things. I know I said three things, but he's also made us three things. He made us a king. He made you a king, and he made you a priest. Now listen to this. Under the old covenant, only the priest could go before God on behalf of the people. And multiple requirements had to be met, including bringing the blood of an animal to the mercy seat to atone for the people's sins. But because of the blood of Jesus, hey, <laughs> because of the blood of Jesus, you now have direct access to the throne of God. You are a priest. He made you holy. You are sanctified and set apart by the blood of Jesus to go before God on your behalf or on behalf of others to pray with power whenever needed. You have the authority now to bless others as a priest would bless people in the old covenant. Beloved, you are now made a king and a priest before God by his precious blood. So number one, he made you a king. He made you something. He made you a king. He made you a priest. And then thirdly, he makes you righteous. And not in this order. They're all, they all happened at the same time. They're interchangeable. As soon as Jesus' blood was shed, he made you righteous. He made you a king and he made you a priest. The moment you accept that, the moment you accept him as your Savior and Lord, you are all three of those things. You are righteous, you are a priest, you are a king. Let me talk to you about righteousness for a moment. Romans 5, 9 says we've been made righteous by his blood. That simply means we are now right with God. No matter what we've done wrong, we're right with God, and we have the biblical rights as sons and daughters of God. My child, the father said to the older son, when the prodigal son came home, he said to the older son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. See, he didn't know he had a slavery mentality, even though he was a son of the father, his mentality was as a slave, but his status 
was as a son. Your status is, a, is as a son or daughter. That's why we need to get our minds renewed out of a bondage, slavery mentality where we are, where we have to obey God or we're enslaved to sin or we're enslaved to fear. We don't have to be enslaved to any of those things. We are sons and we're daughters of God. We're not accepted by God based on our obedience. We're accepted by God based on Christ's obedience. And he's made you righteous. What does that mean? By his blood, we can stand before God without guilt. We can stand before God without inferiority. We can stand before God. You can stand before God without shame, without condemnation, and without fear. That's what it means to be the righteousness of God. You can stand before God equal to Jesus. He's not because we're flawless like Jesus, but we're, we died with him. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. And now we're seated with him in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority. Now we can also stand boldly in the face of our mistakes, in the face of our failures and not be shamed out of God's presence. You can embrace the fact that you've made mistakes and sins and failures, but God doesn't shame you out of his presence. Your sins don't move you out of God's presence. We didn't get into his presence because of our sinlessness. We got into his presence by the blood of Jesus. In one sense, that is what it means to be sinless. We're washed by the blood of Jesus. Being sinless doesn't mean you never sin anymore. Being sinless doesn't mean you never make a mistake anymore. Being sinless means in God's eyes, you, are, you look just like Jesus without sin. So we can stand up to the enemy as the righteousness of God. And what does the Bible say? The, the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as lions. Well, I hope you uh, got something out of that. Welcome to everybody who's watching from um, other countries, Kenya. Um, where are some of the countries? Let me see if I can shout them out to you guys. Um, but uh, shout out to everybody watching in, let's see, Australia, Spain, Venezuela, Cayman Islands, India, and those of you all over the other countries, South, South Africa and so many more, we just thank you. Love you, appreciate you, and trust God. Love people, but trust God. Don't trust people. Don't trust in people. Trust God and love people. We do the trusting, God will take care of the timing. I love you guys, and I'll see you tomorrow, same time, same channel, Daily Bread. God bless. Great to be with you.